It was too. It was too corporate. Like. What are the odds? What are you thinking when, when you're when you like, you build up? I'm sure you were planning for like a year, years, and then like, and then your product finally launches and 9/11 happens. Like, what is going through your head? Real then. The market was just less receptive to new products at the time. You were ready to go, though. <laughs> Hi, I'm Rhonda from Boston Harbor Distillery, and this is my golden hour. Golden Deer Productions. Golden Deer. Oh, oh, wait, was that not it? Hey, enter. Just, you forgot to enter. And the double clap signifies the start of an episode. And before we begin, everybody, hey, this is Connor Hallway of the Golden Hours Podcast. And listen, if you by chance get any sort of value from this episode, whether you laugh, cry, you're entertained, or you're informed, dude, just share it with a friend. And if you don't have friends, you shouldn't be. Listening to podcasts. And before I introduce my guest on the right today, who is in the building producing? You got Brendan Kilcoin producing today. And who's our special guest producer? Catherine Kilcoin. Shouts out to Catherine for making it happen. And our guest on the right today is an extremely successful individual. And I'm not a huge drinker. And before you got here, Catherine kind of gave me a crossword puzzle on like how whiskey works and like how it's like what's quality and pure whiskey and so she was saying something about like the the tail end was i studying right that was it the tail like you guys have higher quality tail and so quick refresh okay heart's the good stuff so we don't like the tail oh just a little bit Okay. Um, on my right, I have Rhonda Coleman of Boston Harbor Distilleries. Did I, I said the last name right, right? I'm, I'm so stupid. Oh, yeah. Um, can you just give a quick synopsis of who you are and what you do? Well, Peabody, come on. That's like New Hampshire. Yeah. <laughs> 
I wouldn't go back either. Yeah. But I, I just always had a decade-old love affair with alcohol. What? I love everything about it. I love the ingredients and how you bring it together and the distillation process and the flavors and the aromas, complexity, and, you know, the sociability of it all. I like the wine. I like the taste of it, too. That's how it makes you feel. So I've had a decades-long career in um, craft beer, and now craft whiskey, which is really the evolution of beer. Why is that? Because whiskey starts off as the same way the beer does. Exactly the same process. The grain, well, you know, you can vary with the grains, but depending on what you want to make. All right, break down the science for me. So how does that work? So you get a bunch of grain, right? Sugar and starches, and that's what yeast will eat. And you put the you put this into the big tanks that we see at the Boston Harbor Distillery, right? right. And and you guys are mixing it for a while. Yeah, that's the mash. Okay. And that's the same way the beer starts. It's just grain and water. And then where does the process differ? Um, the brew kettle is where a brewery will have the big, huge kettle where they cook hops, which are flour, they're a spice, they're actually the nearest identical relative to marijuana. Whoa. And they give beer its bitterness and its aroma. Distilleries don't have a brew kettle because they don't put hops in in whiskey. So we have a still, which actually takes like the same 10 or 20% alcohol when it's in the fermenters. It takes it all the way up to like 100 so how old were you the first time you drank? I was, I think I was 14. How old were you be? 15. Yeah. Did you get like totally shattered? Yeah. <laughs> I, I was blasting. Catherine, how old were you? Oh boy, I think that. No way. <laughs> At nine? So at nine years old is when you really fell in love with booze. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And like when you were growing up, were you always like, all right, alcohol is the way. Like that's definitely what I'm going to do. Because yeah. I had read a, I'd, I'd read one article online before you got here about how you like you were working in a bunch of bars around the city too. Yeah. So have you always just been kind of connected to it? Where was the bar? It was called the Heckle Pub. Sounds dangerous. Square. Oh, God. <laughs> Square. Square. That was my, yeah, was my family. And so, like, now that you've had, like, a nice lucrative career, you started your own business, when you had started at that point, did you imagine that you were going to build something like this? I did not. No. You never thought you were going to be successful? Very much self-made, and I'm very independent. And I left my parents 
nest and I was 17, much to their chagrin, they provided a nice home for me and I just couldn't wait to get out on my own and I've been working three jobs or one job three times as much as everybody else for my whole life. Have, and you've always loved working? I do, I do. I, I'm, I'm lucky because I managed to get married and I have three children and I'm still with the same guy after 30 years. Shouts out to him. Yeah, shout out to him. Couldn't do it without him. And it's just been great, I mean, to be able to, to create something from nothing in an in a industry that you love and you're passionate about. Uh, you know, it just gets harder. You, you'd think it would get easier after decades of doing the same like-minded thing, but it doesn't. <laughs> well, it's, it's a very dynamic business, and um, the world is changing. You know, I, one of the things that I'm most notably successful for, other than, of course, being the founder of Boston Harbor Distillery now, is to be as the co-founder of, of Boston Beer Company Makers with Daniel Adams Beer. And when we started that, Jim Cook and myself, back in 1984, there really weren't any craft beer. So there wasn't a lot of choice. And frankly, there was no internet. There, well, there, nobody cell phones. We had typewriters. I mean, there were no computers. So you know what, what we did then was really pretty special. Um, but today, there's so much noise, and there's so much choice. and there's new innovation every day and different places where people get their news and it's very fragmented. Do you sometimes see like younger entrepreneurs who are starting stuff for themselves and, and you're like, you guys have no idea how easy you have it. You can just sell something online. You don't have to like go to every single restaurant in the city and try to sell this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, frankly, Stephanie, I get it asked all the time. How come you're not selling at this bar or this place or how come ship it to me? We, it, it's the most regulated business in the country. And Massachusetts is tough too, right? Massachusetts is, will kick your ass, even if you're from here, let me just tell you. But, you know, it takes a while to break through <laughs> here. But once you do... That's good. So we're still working on breaking down some, some walls. I, I more so mean, like, people now, and Catherine, as you know, people can start a business, like, on Shopify, like that. And so when you had started building your business, like you really were out there hustling, hustling, right? Like you had to go to every single restaurant, every single bar and say, hey, can you try our booze? Yeah, you know what? We're still doing that. Um, you like that part though, right? Well, that's where the action is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do like that part. And people like it when we come in, people that represent the brand, that know everything about it, that are passionate. We're real, you know, it's authentic. But we also love it when people come the distillery, which is really this beautiful hidden gem in the Nepontic, that's actually in the Port Norfolk neighborhood of Nepontic, which is the neighborhood of Dorchester. This yeah. is crazy. You're like right near that Best Western, right? You know, like Best Western on the water? Yeah, yeah, sort of, yeah. We're, we're right on the other side of that. Are, are you guys the sole distillery in Boston? No, no. Um, fortunately, there's a couple others. How's that? Why is that fortunate? That's the competitors, man. Well, because when the tide comes in, all the boats rise. You know, I started Boston Harbor Distillery to prove that Americans can make great whiskey because 
Well, it's actually a dried watch that everybody drinks scotch and Irish whiskey. And the poster child for American whiskey is bourbon. People come in, they're, they're confused. They think bourbon is whiskey and whiskey is bourbon. But in fact, it's not true. Because whiskey, just like beer, a craft overall is really an ingredient story. So bourbon, because of all the rules and laws that are surrounding it, is really the most regulated business. It has to be made with a majority of corn. So over 51% corn, aged in new white American barrels for uh, a minimum of two years. Does not need to be made in Bourbon County because that's dry, but it does need to be made in America. So it's like champagne is to France or tequila is to Mexico. Bourbon is uniquely American. Bourbon. Bourbon, but when I helped Jim Cook start Sam Adams, we were using 100% malted barley instead of corn. And, you know, it was Bide, Miller, Coors, Corona, Heineken. Those are lighter beers because they're made with corn and adjunct. Whereas we use the whole grains, the real flavorful part of, you know, that's how we started the beer with these really beautiful grains. And that's what we're doing at Boston Harbor Distillery. We're using whole grains like rye and malted barley to make our whiskey instead of corn. So we don't make bourbon, even though that's what much of America is drinking. Now, who's your demographic traditionally? Like, who's going to buy this from the store for both of well, if I'm getting drunk, I'll go buy it, 100%. Well, I don't want you to buy it to get drunk. Come on, Rhonda. Honestly, you know what? It's really about having a mindful experience. And, you know, not to be boring about it, but really you should enjoy what you drink. And then sometimes you have so much fun doing that and just really exploring the flavors and slowing down a little bit. You know, you got to get up the next day and just keep moving. That's how I've survived being in this industry for so long. You really do have to be R- ready the next day. Yeah, you, you don't go out to get drunk. You go out to have some drinks and then things expire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I so who who's been buying it mostly now? Um, really enthusiasts, people who really want to learn about different whiskeys. Um, so you know, we're not getting a JMO drinker. Probably, probably not getting the Jack or the Jim Beam drinker right now. Um, that'll come maybe in time. But there's this whole group of individuals that do love to explore whiskey either from America or from the rest of the world. And they're discovering what we're making here and they're doing it best. And so when you start, you're like, okay, I have this product. I mean, you guys, it's, you've been around for like seven, eight years now, correct? Congrats. So when you start and you start selling, are you first like, okay, I want to get product placement in like a Whole Foods first or a liquor store or restaurants? Like what's normally the play like right as you start? Um, Right as you start, I think I've always been partial to restaurants and bars. Just because you grew up in it? I grew up in it and often they'll put it on the, you know, if they put it on the menu, it's helping you build your brand. And you meet the bartenders and the wait staff and you talk to people. And then when you're not there, they're probably talking to people about when someone says, hey, what's this? The stores are a little bit different, though they're getting better. 
but certainly we're in Whole Foods. Nice. Uh, we're in a lot of the fine wine stores where they hand sell things to people that want to understand the story and to see if it's real and to try to get connected to the to the brand. And so, do you guys do any like sort of e-commerce? That's that's boring though. The fun stuff's like you like going out as the owner, like going to like all the restaurants in the Southie and saying like, "Hey, I got this awesome product. I'd love for you guys to sell it." Right? Yeah, uh, we we get the door shut in our face a lot. Yeah, yeah. How how many times has that happened for you in your career? Gazillion. Oh yeah, exactly. You're just gonna pick yourself back up, you know, dust yourself off, and get out there and find the next place. But there's a lot of willing participants. I mean, the city that we're in now in Boston, it's booming. There's so many wonderful places. In fact, it's almost too many, you know, too numerous to count. But we need to find our way in. And I think as our whiskey ages and we get out there more and people like you help us spread the word, you know, we really have something that's rich and authentic and just beautiful. It tastes great. And you've got to get that Boston pride going. What did your parents do for work? Like, have you always just been a hustler? And I'll also take a little drink here. We'll, we'll try right now. All right, cheers. Sure, we'll do one of these. working people, there she is. I'm drunk, just like that. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Tastes like Christmas, man. <laughs> Saving the good stuff for Christmas, are It was great. No longer have to. We brought you that Thank you very much. And thank you for the lid. The lid's fire. B, what are your thoughts? You like it? What was my question? My parents. Oh, yeah, your parents. Yeah. Um, although they would never be entrepreneurs. They just weren't that kind. My father uh, actually was an accountant. Ooh. Yeah. That's like anti-you, right? Well, I just I, kind of part of the story. I, I'm a New Year's baby. I was born four minutes past midnight. So I was born on January 1st, but I was the first baby born out of Lynn Hospital. It doesn't exist anymore. Wow. No way. Yeah. But he went to he went to Northeastern University for eighteen years it took him to get his accounting degree. Oh my god. And you know, they didn't have a lot of money. They were raising kid three kids. And so he would leave the house at five in the morning and he wouldn't get back till, you know, after nine at night. And my mother took care of everything around the house, but she also worked. And what did she do? She she was a secretary. She answered phones. But really, the thing that really she really enjoyed was she was she sold carpets. Now back in the sixties and seventies, carpets were a big thing. Yeah. What 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 are the car? Are they like Arabic carpets? What are the famous carpets that everyone sells? Well, they were Persian, those Persian, were Persian rugs. Persian rugs. Yeah. She wasn't. She was selling wall to wall. 
Okay. Like deep in topics and tea, but he, like she was actually in the office, but people would come in and she would, the, the salesman would be busy. And so she'd have to go get in front of them and say, can I, you know, oh, he's busy, but maybe I, and she loved colors. And well, they offered her a position to be a salesperson. And she was like the first saleswoman to sell carpets. And she loved it. And she had these kids too, so she managed everything. It was really amazing to watch. So both of them really inspired me. I went to my father's uh, college graduation. No way. Yeah, yeah. 1971, so do you think that's where you got your sales skills from your mom um, it is a skill I, I'm like totally over people saying like you can inherit sales ability like I mean you can learn it no there are certain people who just know how to sell better than others you know I uh, my mom certainly Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know the type. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my How are you? It's great to see you. But you know, sales is an acquired skill. When we started Boston Beer Company, um, Jim is German and very smart, three Harvard degrees, and very methodical. And he's like, no, we need sales training. I'm like, fish boss, we don't need sales training, but. Of course, we got sales training, and it really is helpful in in life. It helped you, really, or I mean, or have you always naturally just been personable? Oh, no, it, it, sales skills don't teach you how to be personable; they just teach you how to. But if, the yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We're working on that. <laughs> are, are, are you guys instituting that at the old BHD? The tag team duo, let's go. Tag team duo. Yeah. We just had a couple of guys join the team in, in November that seem to be working out really well. Yeah. And um, you know, that together with our distributors, because it's a whole three tier system to go through to get to the Boston Mass Train. We're out there spreading the word. Hustling. Hustling. So I had also read in the in the same article that you had tried to launch two other products before this, right? Can you talk a little bit about like some of the failures you had before launching the good one? Yeah, you know, failures sort of define you uh, in a lot of ways. You learn a lot from them. I mean, I had the wonderful American success story with Sam Adams and left to figure out the next chapter. And I ended up uh, starting another beer company to make innovative American beer styles that didn't exist at the time. And uh, I started a company in uh, January of 2000. I called it New Century Brewing Company. It was the first brewing company of the new century, which is pretty cool. Let's go. Some good marketing. And uh, the man who invented light beer was a mentor of mine. And he was... Oh, my God. That guy must be loaded. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> he, 
a beer called Edison. It was a light beer made from scratch to be light. It wasn't a watered-down version like anything else, so it had the same staff as a Bud Light, but it tasted great. So I called it Edison after that spirit of invention and innovation in life. Because if you think about all the successful beer brands, many of them, are guys' names. Miller, Heineken, Sam Bush. Coors, right? Bush. Um, or Place, like Sierra Nevada, New Belgium, Place. What is Heineken? What is that? A guy's name. Is it? Yeah, Freddie Heineken. <laughs> what a name. That sounds like a star. Freddie Heineken. Let's go. A porn star. Yeah. <laughs> did, did you ever think of just naming the whiskey just Rhonda's? No. Never. <laughs> so you want to talk about the whiskey? Oh, you want to meet I wanted the beer. The beer. I'm, I'm, I got the ADHD. I got the ADHD. I'm sorry. No, you're good. You're good. Um, well, speaking of ADHD, so I launched Edison on the eve of 9-11 in Las Vegas. Ugh. built it and we were, we were a public company at that point and we're you know we've been meeting after meeting after meeting after meeting and I missed being at the bar. It was too it was too corporate like well, we were getting to the point, you know, we had to be and I you know respect that hundred percent. But you know, we only live once. I wanna be happy every day and motivated and excited to get out of bed to to have that same feeling that we had when we started the program. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Versus all the corn-based beers. So, anyway, started New Century, came out with Edison, launched it on the eve of 9-11, and it was very difficult after that. Nobody wanted to try anything new. Ugh. The money what are the odds? Was, you know, timing. It was the beginning of a really bad thing, really, for me personally and professionally. But, hey, you know what? That's the thing. What are you thinking when, when, you're, when you, like, you build up, I'm sure you were planning for like a year, years, and then oh, like, yeah. and then your product finally launches and 9-11 happens. Like, what is going through your head? Well, uh. my head is I'm not going to let those terrorists get the best of me. So I kept going with my plan, and that was a mistake. I should have, like, Real then. looked at the, control the controllables, and I can't, I couldn't control the environment at that point. The market was just less receptive to new products at the time. Yeah. You were ready to go, though. <laughs> you know, I just, we didn't have the capital, and the whole business model was, was somewhat flawed. But, you know, I figured out how to keep Edison going, and it was in wonderful places. It was a lot of chef-owned, operated places that didn't want to sell Bud Miller Coors. They probably had Amstel Light. That was it. So Edison was a nice alternative to finding those people and getting it to market. It was expensive. Trader Joe's loved it. That was my biggest account. And they, they sold it nationally for many people. So that kind of kept me going, but the, the margins were really slow. Were you, were you marketing it as like a healthy product? No, no. And that's really illegal to do. Is it? Yeah. For, for any alcohol, yeah. How, so how do they do it for White Claw then? They don't. They think they'll put gluten-free on there. 
You can't say like the freshest alcohol. You can't do something like that. Said OG Starbucks, that early. Starbucks, Red Bull, and even Mountain Dew, that code red stuff was just Oh, I remember that stuff. In a very you know, mature stage category of soda. Red code red was flying. I remember that. And so I actually called Dr. Awadis, who's the man who invented life here, he's my partner in the business that I named at Edison after. Oh, Edison's better name. Mm-hmm. Did he? I would drink that. I'm tired. Made sense. Made a lot of sense. And I called it Moonshot. I like that. And there were 69 milligrams of caffeine. Which Whoa. It's less than a cup of, like, Folgers coffee. No, I thought a regular cup of coffee was 50 milligrams. 80 or more. Oh, really? Well, who's making it? So when you drank the Moonshot, did you get, like, fired up? What does that mean? They were giving me two positions in the full box. Oh, okay. So I thought I'd do it. And it would sell because it was going to be the only caffeinated real beer in a, in a can. Um, but that's when, anyway, four local ended up getting us all shut down. So they took the process of adding caffeine to beer and ale, which Dr. Wade's and I created, and they used it. Oh. And were people very receptive to the idea of Moonshot? Because I could imagine so many people being like, dude, I'm so tired at the bar. Oh, shoot, let me get drunk and also get a little hyped up.
really can use to do it. And that's what you need it these days. Now the big companies come out with stuff and overnight it's all over the place. I mean, Bud Light Seltzer or whatever the hell they call that. They just launched their... <laughs> you're pissed, you're pissed. <laughs> I heard Corona stocks going down because of the virus. Is that like real talk? Wow. B, just grab the mic and pull it down just a little bit. Yeah, well, you'll feel the sweet spot. There you go. Yeah, you sound handsome, man. Yeah, that's wild. Wow. Why? Like, what? Why did they not allow it? So, if you go to the TTB website, uh, you know, we're the only things that have been shut, really banned since prohibition, which is ridiculous. You know, trace amounts of caffeine. So, instead of regulating parts per million of caffeine percentage alcohol, they just outright banned it. Do they think it's dangerous? They thought it was dangerous. But but it's less than a cup of coffee, is what you're saying. Tasted 
about the tenor of Hermann Hesse. That story in 59 milligrams, caffeine, and you get, you know, yellow and red <laughs> dye. Very lethal. They should have regulated parts per million and of caffeine percentage alcohol, and I would have gone and gone below that. But right now, Boston Harvard Sterry makes a copy of four, which is 46 proof, which is 23% alcohol, and more caffeine than moonshot ever. But that's legal because it tastes like coffee. You're still pissed. <laughs> so... It sounds like a great idea, too. Everything has a silver lining because that company, I had to shut it down in, in 2011. You know, they banned Moonshot. I could have kept Edison going. I had just lost heart of the beer business. I had really been at the forefront of it. You were tired. And I wasn't getting any support. And, I, you know, I just, I just needed to shut it down and go on with my life. But... It led me to Boston Harbor Distillery. So there's a silver lining in everything. And this whiskey is always, even when Jim Cook asked me to help him start a beer company in 1983, I said, I don't like beer, I like whiskey. And he promised he'd make something that I liked, and of course he did, but I'm back to really what I'm really passionate about. And I believe that there's an opportunity for a really great premium whiskey made right here in Boston, why not? So, was that part of the plan when you started the product? Like, I'm going to market it as a Boston-based product. Well, it's inherent in it, you know. I mean, if you look at this, is it's Putnam. Putnam is, is the name of our whiskey. Um, because the, the beautiful uh, brick and bean building that I have a 20-year lease on, it's really expensive, by the way. But it really spoke to me. It's um, It was the Putnam Mail Factory, the whole parcel of land that's right behind that colorful gas tank off of the expressway exit 12 is um, was the home of the Putnam Mail Factory. And Silas Putnam automated the manufacture of the uh, putt-forged horseshoe nail in the 1850s. And he had government contracts and he supplied horseshoe nails to both sides of the Civil War. So that's the name Putnam. And it goes back to my my thought about having names, guys' names are rich with history and they mean something and they're real people. So it's not Rhonda's whiskey, but it is Putnam whiskey. So, I mean, are you on a, in terms of like product placement, when you start, you're trying to get this everywhere in Boston first, correct? Over going national? And so when do you make the call? Because you already did it at Sam Adams. Like, okay, now this is ready to go national. It's just really about resources and about how much capital can you raise and how many people you want to put on the street and how fast can you think. Um, but you do dilute your effort. And we have so many opportunities here. I mean, geez, in Somerville alone, we probably have six places. Catherine was about to close an account before this, man. She's... <laughs> You missed it. They're down. Let's do it. Great. Yeah. Why not? Right across. Yeah, we. I'll walk you over there after if you want. Easy. Business. Business. Um. So 
what so I've heard like a million times, I know we've been doing a bunch of business questions, but like I've heard that like Tito's really killed it when they started because they they stayed very centralized to Austin, Texas for like 20 years. And they're like, okay, we got this on lock. Now it's time to go. Is that kind of the same thing you're explaining with like how fast you can go or? I'd like to go faster. Me too. <laughs> I love that. I like to go faster. <laughs> I mean, New York City's exciting. Um, you like New York? Just as a city? You like the chaos? Yeah, they like high-end whiskey, so I like it. Yeah. like high-end whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can get whatever you want there. But, um, yeah, we're, we're in New England. We sell all over to the six New England states. So that's where we're at. A little bit of upstate New York because we have to cover off some chain mandates that sell some of our stuff. But at the end of the day, we have a lot of work to do. You know, when inside, inside 128. Western Mass, they love craft. I'm sure. Ski mountains. Mountains, like we are, it's going to take us a while. And how often when you generate new business, is it you actually reaching out to the the retailer or the restaurant as opposed to them reaching out to you saying, hey, like we love this? Um, probably 95% of the time we have to do the reaching out. <laughs> it's really interesting that like you're, I, I just wonder how many like, established companies are still doing that i think a lot of people would assume like oh my god you've been around for so long you don't have to hustle anymore but i'm sure it's just every day still oh my gosh yes we're in it i mean the whiskey business is not for the faint of heart everything has to be paid for in advance every one of our suppliers require us to prepay right (laughs) you're pissed I get it. Yeah. So that's why you don't see a lot of startup whiskey companies. You got to love it. You got to love it. You got to have a vision. And you got to stay the course. But at the same time, we do have some other brands that we make to really kind of help. To generate. And what's that? Well, we're launching a very exciting whiskey. Let's hear the sales pitch. (laughs) Well, it's called Demon Seed. Whoa. Uh, Sounds like something Brendan would drink. <laughs> Demon seed. Let me do the ad for it. Demon seed. D- death in a cup. <laughs> what? What? See, I don't like drunk. I don't like death. You like people having a good time, though. Is death in a cup a good time? I don't know. It depends on the. It depends on the demographic. <laughs> I'll finish mine. <laughs> oh, I know. I need more. <laughs> Brennan, you enjoying your drink? I'm going to be totally transparent with you guys. After the after, I actually did catch a buzz after the first sip. <laughs> I'm a lightweight, man. I'm a total lightweight. That's good. You're a cheap date. What, Easy. What food traditionally goes well with whiskey? Well, be honest with me, though. Like if, it's not cereal, but... Uh, yuck. Is that how you say it? charcuterie? That's all like the little meats? Yeah. You say, Cheese. I thought it was, I always thought it was charcuterie. Oh, it, it's, it's charcuterie? 
I, I gotta get my like I gotta get out there. Charcuterie. Yeah. Like I like savory food. You like that like smoked salmon on a bagel. That's what you're feeling. Like, what would super sweet be? Like, cake? You don't like, like cake? Sugar. White sugar. Mm. You know? Sugary drinks. Yeah. Really? You don't? Sorry? Like a limoncello? You would like that? I have to say, once in a great while, I'll have one of those things, a lemon drop. It's yeah. just, sometimes you just need to get there fast and sweet. But that's an exception, not the rule. What is the caloric count on a shot of this? Per shot. Yeah, which isn't a lot. So, what's an average, like, what's it like a Budweiser? It's like 150? Yeah. So, it's equivalent. It's equivalent. It's less. And it doesn't give you gas. Which okay. <laughs> beer makes you burp and, you know, there's carbonation. And, and so, yeah, I could imagine. And, and so, whiskey. You're, you guys, no one ever experiences a hangover from drinking your stuff, right? That's kind of what Catherine was hitting at before this. Like, you just wake well, up, you're fine. You know what? It's clean, and you do need to hydrate, and you do need to eat something just like anything else. But you really should spend the money on more quality whiskey or other spirits that, um, that produce... Mindful production, you know, we, we cut our hearts real narrow because that's the best part of the alcohol. If you go really long into the tail, for example, that you talked about the heads, the hearts, and the tail, the tails have some congeners in there that your liver just, livers just don't process well. So, when you start an alcohol brand, are you conscious, like, okay, I'm doing this for the right reasons because I love whiskey, I love the alcohol industry, but someone could easily abuse this. Like, does it ever cross your mind? Like, someone might get too drunk on my product. Oh, yeah. Does that, like, totally keep you up at night? Yeah. It's not cool. I get it. So, like, how do you how do you shut your brain off? Well, it goes back to education. And that's why we spend all of our time that, you know, we invite people to the distillery. We take them right up close to everything we do. We teach them about the ingredients. We want them to respect it. And that's where we spend our time and energy, is on education. So does your brain ever shut off from the company? No. Never, right? Do you ever feel too spread thin, or do you just like it? I often feel spread thin, yeah. And I'm not giving enough to my friends, my family, myself. How long has it been like that for? lonely sometimes it is it is but that's okay it's part of the game right part of it you know mm. it just it's the vision and the reward you know it, frankly I just try to get to profitability I mean that's where I'm focused every day money you have to build a brand for the long term and you have to do the right things but you do have to make money for the business so is that what's most validating for you in, in the whole process is like catching bigger checks? No, um, it's validating for my investors and, and they trusted me by 
that is my fiduciary responsibility. Um, and until I can make them proud, then I'm going to be missing what the whole reward system is about. So when are you most pumped when building this thing? Like when are you like the most excited when you catch a win? You get bored a little bit. It, it's that people aren't just one dimensional, and so if you if you've spent the time, money, and energy to get somebody emotionally connected to your brand, but they feel like having a, a coffee drink, well, we have coffee for you. I get it. Why not? B, any questions, man? Usually come through with that haymaker. Hey, you guys having fun? You having fun? I love it. Great. <laughs> Talking about food. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Our favorite thing to do. So I was just going to ask about, so the craft cocktail scene, it seems like it's, it's kind of the next up, but it's not quite there. Um, whereas like breweries have become like this whole new level um, of socializing. Like I, I grew up in Westboro, Mass. So like there's a brewery in almost every single town in that vicinity. And like families go, they bring their dogs, their little kids. Like, how do you think the the craft uh, cocktail whiskey scene can get to that place? Like, do you think it, do you think it's close, or do you think it's possible? I do. I think it's a great question. Um, one of the things that always inspires me is remembering pre-prohibition. There were more rum distilleries in New England than there were breweries. So if that's any indication of where this thing could go, I mean, when I started New, uh, Boston Harbor Distillery, I think there was only about 12 in the state, 12 craft distilleries in the state of Mass, believe it or not. Um, and now there's double that. So it's, it's happening. And if you go to Salem or you go to Gloucester or you, you, you know, there's three of us in Boston and there's one in Everett and there's one in Plymouth, and, and you know where I think it's really going to start happening is the breweries are going to start figuring out that once you put beer in a can or a bottle or a keg, it starts to go downhill. It's like a, a new car. Once you drive it up the lot, you know, it loses its value. Whereas when we finally put that whiskey in a bottle, it's going to stay like that for decades. So if the process for whiskey starts off as the same process as beer, I think you'd like to see the blurring of the lines starting. That's interesting. I, I can see, um, so we we're talking like pork, and obviously whiskey's like comparable to like a light beer, but like some of these double IPAs, like triple IPAs, which are like almost like, what, like 500 calories, like do you see that as a marketing point where it's 
pop air. Like I feel like IPAs, like you can only have like a couple of them, and it's so cool. I like. Um, you probably not. I mean, I I wouldn't go there. You I don't think, think that's the, the selling point at all. For no, I mean, you know, like the gluten free thing. I mean, it's a real thing. People have gluten allergies, and so that's real. By the way, all distilled spirits are gluten free. I am living proof of that. <laughs> right. I always tell, you know, Kevin's my marketing manager, and I always tell people who are afraid to try the whiskey cake today because they have a gluten allergy. I'm like, no, my marketing manager, she gives it all. You're, you're gluten free? Yeah. yeah. Ever since celiac season began, I haven't had an issue with that. So, what does that mean you can't eat? Uh, things with gluten. So, okay. Here. So you can't eat bread. Yeah. <laughs> Boring. started drinking white wine or maybe rosé and now we're drinking big reds and we appreciate the flavors and the quality and again more mindful consumption now Catherine what do you and your friends drink if you're not like in marketing mode But like at a house at a house party, what are your friends boozing on? Mm, I mean, a lot of the time it's either very much party business for us. But if I do, I try to just bring something that we make because that's we've always said the best marketing is you know last fifth ounce, just trying it. Okay, you guys are full speed on the market. I'm saying like outside of your whiskey, what do people drink? That that Rubinoff. No, oh, <laughs> or what was it? What, what did we drink at? Uh, Burnett's. Oh, Burnett's. Oh, oh. <laughs> she said, "I'm sorry." <laughs> um, so my question is like, how with your marketing brain, how do you target kids our age for a whiskey? Like, what are some of your thoughts on how you how you'd go about it? Twenty four. How do I look? Look at my jawline. I feel like a kid. Sunday, Sunday, it can make you a Bloody Mary, but it's going to be crap, and, and 
So it's just adding another level of precaution to make sure you're what what is what are the contents of a bloody mary it's like that red juice tomato yeah, juice. juice all right man okay i'm trying it's healthy tomato juice is what you dump on your dog when he gets sprayed by a skunk <laughs> Now, how many people are in the company total? About 12. What are some of your, like, core values in hiring someone? Like, what do you look at? What do you mean? Like, their personal judgment? Hustle. Hustle. Do you ever look at the resume? Yeah. yeah. How much do you care about that? No. It's not crazy. And the kid could sell. And I said to him, you know what? I said, I respect that. I respect the fact that he knew what he wanted and he went after what he wanted. Not He didn't do it for his parents because he was supposed to. And the worst thing is if you, you start, for me, if you start something and you stop, you didn't finish the job, that, that's, a, that's a red flag for me. I agree. Sure. I'm I'm ready for the questions. So I I made a big film when I was in college. I was a terrible student. You can ask Brendan, he was my roommate. Oh really? I did. And for a long time I was thinking, how can I meet the most amount of people in Boston and how can I make the most amount of people in Boston know that I'm a good dude so I can start producing projects in the city that everybody will tune into. So that's what the podcast works for because I can meet like everybody I want. I mean, if I didn't have this, I would have never been able to meet you or Catherine. And so I got a big project on the way. Whoa. Whoa. No, it's fine. We don't have to talk about that. It, It was... It was a film called The Adventures of Adderall Boy. And so a kid, it's a college kid, he takes Adderall and he turns into a superhero. And so I want to make another film. And so now 
we're like kind of in the production phases of starting to make it, but I'm trying my best to not say anything before it happens. Oh no, no way. Who? We'll talk after. Okay. Sure. Hey B, any final questions? B, B drinks a little more than I do, so. What are you guys doing on social? No, but 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 what's your big movement on it? Like, what are you trying to do? content here's our cocktail this is this is all it is you know it's actually why is this great let's tell you a little bit about this around why we make them in the first place here's our liqueurs you know just have a story in front of it which i think that you do um but definitely bring people down and see what we want at least to locate i think that's the best way for them to experience our brand they're the still that we make it in you can come in here and hang out and have a cocktail and talk to the distillery most of the time and yeah drag people down to the distillery you want to get people in the doors. So, if we were in an interview in like 10 years, where would you like to be positioned? In your chair? No, <laughs> you don't want this job, man. <laughs> Are you ever going to retire? No. See, that's funny. My dad said the same thing. My dad's like, I just would be so bored if I stopped working. Yeah. You feel that way? Yeah. I, you know, I'd, end up, I, you know, I'd like to make a lot of money only so that I can give it back and I can help those that are less fortunate than me. That's what I hope that my sunset years are involved with, volunteering for things and being philanthropic. So how do you evaluate your progress? Like you personally, do you like look back every six months? You're like, Hey, like, look how far we've come. Yeah. It's like it's a not every six months. It's all the time. I mean, you know, it, it comes back to the people that, that are part of the team. And if they're happy, I think that's really the big part of it for me is if you have this performing group of people that are really That's all the bo- that, that's the minutia. That's all the boring stuff. Now, how do you evaluate taking risks financially in a startup phase? Do you always just go for it? You're like, all right, like we have to do this. No, not always. Um, we've done a lot. Um, 
people are pretty amazed at what we've been able to accomplish. And part of that is because we can, because we have the experience and the breadth of knowledge and you know, we find a place for it. But not, it doesn't always make sense. But you know, as you grow, there's just cost efficiencies. It's the, the bigger you get, the better your pricing is, the more credit you'll get, the more, you know, the, the easier it becomes. There's just not a whole lot of support for entrepreneurial companies that are building. There just isn't a, an ecosystem for that. And so who knows, maybe someday I'll work on that. Well, the Boston startup ecosystem is pretty crazy. Like, there's tons of startups here nowadays. There's lots, which is and like Kendall and like in the seaport. Yeah, there's, there <coughs> is. There's support for uh, a lot of, you know, medical technology, fintech. Biotech. Biotech. But consumer products, not so much. Hey, Catherine, were you able to meet um, the people from host events when you are here? I'm going to link you with their CEO. You guys will click like easily. I don't know what you guys can do together, but she runs like a private bartending service. So you guys can do a little product placement with them or something cool. Yeah, they want to do some branded bar matching. They don't normally do that, but something specific. Cool. So Jared and Marty can check that out. Yeah. Cool. That was great. A lot of the local entrepreneurs I'm glad you came. Yeah. Everyone enjoyed the booze. So are you going to have another event? I am. Let's do it. You had a good time, right? Yeah, of course. Oh, it was really what was, what was the mixy? What were you guys doing? It was like some sort of. We had a couple. We had an old fashioned with the ride as our signature. Oh, the old fashioned. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then we had something with a rum as well. It was kind of like a, a mai tai. Okay. And then you can mix your other kinds of coffee as well. What can I tell you something? You guys got a little team here. <laughs> <laughs> You guys are clicking. The chemistry's on point. You, you guys always out there selling together? Um, no, but we usually sit in across the table just like this. Yeah. Together. Even smaller than this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, we do a lot together. We, we do a lot separately, but it's all under the same umbrella, you know? Is, is Catherine like the younger you? <laughs> I wish that I looked like Catherine. <laughs> that is, that's what I meant by that. Okay, so we got to end the episode. Oh. So, I had a blast. you have fun? I did. Okay, great. Thank you so much. Sure. This is how we start and end the episode. You say, hi, your name. I'm Rhonda. Hi. Wait, I'll just hold on. Hi, I'm Rhonda. Hi, I'm Rhonda. Well, let me just finish. Let me, let me just give you the instructions. And I'll tell you when I go. <laughs> hi, I'm Rhonda, and this is my golden hour directly after no break hi i'm rhonda and that was my golden hour and i would say hi i'm rhonda from boston harbor distilleries does that make sense hi i'm rhonda from boston harbor distilleries and this is my golden hour nice and then hi i'm rhonda from boston harbor distilleries and this is the end of my oh no <laughs> this is that was oh, so you got it <laughs> about 75% of people mess this up. Right. It's all good. They didn't know objectives. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But no clue. Um, hi. I'm Rhonda from Boston Harbor Distillery. And that is the end of 
Blew it, Rhonda. Pull it again. <laughs> no, 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 no. You don't say that. You Listen, you say, hi, I'm Rhonda from Boston Harbor Distillery, and this is my golden hour. Directly after, you say, hi, I'm Rhonda from Boston Harbor Distillery, and that was my golden hour. You say two things. The first one's this is, the second one's that was. Yes. Okay, we got it. Be ready whenever you are. Click it. <laughs>